I'm sorry, Stephen, before we get started, I just have to um, go to Tracy because we have agreed that anytime we appear on camera, we need to be circumspect. We need to wear a head covering because that's what women are supposed to do. So Tracy, I want to know, where's your head covering, girl? Oh, so it's only that far away. If you're going to try to one-up me, I might be able to. Is yours, I'm just trying to decide, do I get to be the angel on this in this version, or am I the oh, devil? Gosh. Which which are you? Which am I? Huh? What, what are we doing here, girl? Well, because it's not far from me, and this was not planned, by the way. I just happened to have things really reach. <gasps> okay, then. Excellent. Okay. So is, uh, All right. Well, December, if you're very nice, you're December looking like goody two shoes. <laughs> so I'm going to have to be the devil. It's just that's I'm going to have to do it. So this is December 1st, and so in that, when we are recording, I don't know when it's going to play, but I have, for those who cannot see from a camera, I have little elf legs sticking out of my head with little jingle bells. And of course, Sharon, true to form, has the devil horns on Someday her Someday I want to be the good one, you know, because our, <laughs> our logo has a white wing and a black wing. And somehow mm. I'm always painted black, Tracy. I'm not really sure what's all about that. It, it could be yeah. the language, the language. <laughs> Fuck no! <laughs> okay, okay, sorry. I'm sorry, Stephen. We hijacked the beginning of your thing here. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm... I'm, I'm... I'm sidelined, which is absolutely cool. That's why I was going to go and get you a tea towel for your head because that's what we used to do oh. um, when the sisters there weren't any brothers in the uh, group, the book study group or something. Um, then the sister would have to find some head covering, and often it was a tea towel that she put on her head. I did not know that Jehovah's Witnesses required head coverings for women. Only, only when they are taking the lead in a in an area that a man would normally take. That is to respect the principle of headship. Mm-hmm. Oh, so. that lovely principle! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, it's um, it's great to have you on the show, Sharon and Tracy from the. Um, <laughs> See, I had it all prepared, and it's uh, I'm all flummoxed now. Um, so, yes, <laughs> thank you for being with us, Sharon and Tracy, from the Feet of Clay Confession of the Cult Sisters podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So, thank you. You're welcome. So, my little joke, uh, my dad joke here was, um, would you say that you are birds of a feather, Sharon and Tracy? Birds of a feather. feather. Mm. I would say we are are very much birds of a feather, but if you go back to our logo that has the two wings, Uh she's the dark wing and I'm the (laughs) light wing. No, No, I think we we change those roles quite a bit. (laughs) We are so much birds of a feather. We have these weird parallel journeys from our teens, but later in life, we we nursed each other's babies and... We did share the same man, not at the same time, but we, we did. <laughs> Crumbs. Um, so my, we might get into that later. But um, yeah, so the reason I'm mentioning this is it's a vanishingly small slither of our audience who will know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, and obviously from the USA, you won't know. But um, during the 80s and the 90s, there was a TV show in the UK called Birds of a Feather. And there, it was about two women, um, and they were called Sharon and Tracy. So whenever You're I no, so whenever I hear Sharon and Tracy, automatically I go to the sitcom in 1989 through the 90s. Um, you can check it out on on the old internet. I'm um, writing it down. I'm absolutely going to go find that. Yeah. So I have to ask. So one at one point, I did date a Brit, okay. and he did make mention of Sharon and Tracy being low-class kind of what we would call trailer park trash in our country. (laughs) So is that the same Tracy and Sharon show that he would have been referencing? It it would, yeah. They were, I think, I think they were Essex girls. Um, So they were quite, you know, they would talk a lot like that, you know, so it was, uh, yeah. Uh, 
We don't really get trailer trash, but yeah, it was that equivalent, really. Council estate um, girls, um, as I was a council estate boy as well. So, um, no. Um, yeah, we're not oh, trying man, to throw no tra- tra- shade yeah, yeah, on yeah, anyone. That yeah. was his interpretation to me, <laughs> <Exactly>. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. That's it. Right. Okay. Well, um, all that frivolity. Uh, let's get on with the content, I suppose, what we're here, really here to talk about. And we were having a little chat before we started, uh, particularly me and you, Sharon, because Tracy was struggling to get on. Um, <laughs> but we were we were talking about a lot of our listeners are ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. So, um, you know, I think lots of, of the people that listen to this podcast won't really be very aware of the world that you come from, you know. So uh, I have, we have started to talk to more people who were in fundamentalist groups and all of that, which is really, really interesting. And, and we're learning a lot about that because it's a world we just simply didn't know. As Jehovah's Witnesses, we just lumped you in with Babylon the Great, which mm. was the world empire of false religion and they were just all bad, you know. So as far as we were concerned, they were all as bad as each other. We we would learn a bit about some of the beliefs so that we could try and turn you when we knocked on your door. But <laughs> generally speaking, we thought you were a bit of a lost cause. So if you're an ex-Jehovah's Witness, you probably don't know anything about this world. So I think that would be the first thing that we really want to get to know is that the world you come from, what, what sort of world was it? So we know it was fundamentalist, but... Um, And obviously, we've got some names here, uh, a name that many people will have heard of, Keith Green. But I think a lot of our listeners won't know much more. So do you want to tell us a little bit of the background, where you're coming from? Yeah, I'm going to let Tracy start on that. But before that, I want to say a funny thing is we looked at Jehovah Witnesses and lumped (laughs) you with the Mormons and the children of God. And you guys were all just cults. You were perversions and and Mm. (laughs) going to hell. Yeah, it reminds me of a meme that's out there where you have this Christian woman and this um, Muslim woman, and they're sharing their holy books and saying, oh, look, you're going to hell. Oh, wait, look, you're going to hell. And that is really what we believed of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. They were considered cults. We were taught that from the early stages of what we would call our born-again experience. Um, I have a letter from my late father who actually had written to me while I was at Last Days Ministries, and that's what um, will figure a lot into our story as far as the cult commune that we went to. But he was visited by Jehovah's Witnesses one day and got the watchtower. And I guess the end time kind of prophecy figures into Jehovah's Witnesses a lot. And so my dad was very proud of himself. He was like, oh, I know all about the end times. (laughs) My daughter's at (laughs) this place called Last Days Ministries. Um, And he was proud of himself for being kind. But when he told me that story, I was like, yeah, but they have it all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know how they had it wrong. I just knew that that's what I was taught, that it was all wrong. I think part of it, Tracy, is like we... Our sacred writings, you know, the door closed on all sacred inspiration with the writings of the Gospels and the Epistles and Revelation, right? And after that, God just shut the fuck up. He's not talking in writing to anyone anymore. (laughs) Therefore, the Book of Mormon and all the supposed inspired writings of Jehovah Witnesses none of that is valid because it's your it's past the the due date came and went and there's no more written inspiration so that is one thing that's a little different mm-hmm. is we had a, a cutoff line for god talking to us yeah i mean it's, it's oh, we, we we don't want to get into jw's too much because we want to talk more about you guys but um <laughs> yeah the um it's quite complex because Jehovah's Witnesses will deny that they think they're inspired. So um, all of these Watchtower and, and all these other books are there to help you understand the Bible. So they're study mm, books okay. technically. Um, however, I think most ex-JWs would actually say that they pay a lot of store by what's in the Watchtower um, to the detriment of what might be in the Bible. So they've kind of got it that wrong way around, if if you believe the Bible, of course. Um, so yeah, anyway, we, we get into that another time, I'm sure. Um, 
but um, yeah, so, foundation. Okay. Yeah, indeed. So, so tell us a bit about the um, these ministries that, that then that you're involved uh, with and uh, what that was like. Yeah, I'll go really fast because Sharon has a little okay. bit more detailed story, and like you okay. said, it is all kind of uh, included in our podcast. Well, but... well, tell them about our our Catholic foundation that set this tone for the yes. belief. Right. So I I was raised um, Catholic. My family uh, were very Catholic, and then they kind of separated as they got older. But they separated kind of in name only. They, My dad would still always uh, return to the only true church is the Holy Roman Emperor Empire. The Holy Roman, wow. he wouldn't say the Holy Roman Empire, but um, <laughs> he was trained by Jesuits. And so it was very hard for him to leave that kind of foundational belief. And Jesuits so- are an order of priests that are mm. particularly fundy in the Catholic sense. Yes, but and very also- intellectual. Yeah, but they're also enlightened and they have a little bit of expansive thought. Yeah, so the Holy Roman Catholic Church. And so I was very enamored with kind of all things God, even from a young age. And then, you know, my dad was a military man, so he lived in Italy for a a good chunk of my youth. And in Italy, I mean, you have Catholicism everywhere. I mean, it's in the architecture, it's in the paintings. It's something that as a child, I am seeing reinforced by all the adults of my life, including my own parents who weren't really dedicated, but they still, you know, stayed true to the foundation. So my little my little child's heart was, well, if this is true, then I should follow with everything that I have um, because it doesn't make sense to just kind of nominally follow this God who might be true. And this was in the time of the late 70s, the 1970s, when there was a Jesus movement throughout the United States that was very powerful. Uh, My sister was getting involved in drugs and alcohol, and there was a lot of fighting at home. And so I was really looking for something other, something that was a better pathway forward. And the Jesus people offered that to me. Um, there was great music at the time. You know, this is my dad did serve in Vietnam as as a soldier in the U.S. military. Uh, so there was a lot of that tension in our household as the hippies mm. were kind of making their way into the news. And so I heard it all, you know, from his perspective. And I started really being attracted to this message of love and peace. And yep. um, the Jesus people came out of that. And one striking figure who kind of meant more to me than the others was named Keith Green. And, you know, we talk about how, you know, this was in the days of Jesus Christ Superstar that was hitting Broadway and then becoming a movie and just really encapsulated everything that I was attracted to. And then there's this great message. And so Keith Green looked like he literally walked off the set of Jesus Christ Superstar (laughs) with his big hair and kind Mm. of just whole demeanor of being, you know, a hippie and, you know, wrote some very powerful lyrics and songs. And so I started listening to him and then he started a last day's newsletter that was part of the organization that Sharon will get into because she was really involved in the kind of the ground floor of that. And so that, that led me to into the Jesus movement, following Keith Green into his commune that he built of last day's ministries, because also the end times were a big message in this time. There's late great planet Earth. I fully believed as a 15-year-old that Jesus was coming back in probably 1981. Um, even oh, right. though the Bible says you do not know the hour or the day, mm. Jesus does say you look at the signs. And so there were all these signs that were pointing a big one was Israel becoming a nation in 1948, and the generation mm-hmm. that sees that will see the return of Jesus, which put it at 1988, which then made room for a seven-year tribulation, which back oh, to, to 1981. So really biblical math there. Wow, yeah, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let, let me stop you there because um, that's got my spidey senses tingling. So um, Jehovah's Witnesses um, had much the same. So they're, they're interpreting the same Bible um, texts, but obviously in different ways. But I'm I'm fascinated by what the date of 1988. Did you Eight. say? Is that is that because you've decided how long a generation is? is yes. That, um, well, okay. I didn't. There were lots of books <laughs> written, <Okay. laughs> pastors and yep. preachers. They determined that a generation was typically 40 years. That that was the okay. scholarly okay. agreement that it was 40 years. Right. So that's what got you okay. to 1988. 
if you believed in a tribulation of a seven-year period, that could either be post-1988 or pre-1988. Okay. And I was set to graduate in 1981. So my why we related so much to Brian and Troy from the Teenage Fundamentalists yeah. is because I was such a teenage fundamentalist. I was set to graduate <laughs> and I wanted to get out and tell the world that Jesus was coming back because we didn't have much time. Right. So Sharon. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pick it up. let me uh, back up just a little bit for your listeners who are coming from the Jehovah Witness, um, from that background, the the core tenets that were shared by Catholicism, as well as what we got into, the born-again fundamental Christian movement, are that God created the world good, Adam and Eve chose to sin, Eve is really more to blame, but Adam and Eve chose to sin. That's what introduced death into the world. Prior to that, God had created angels and had created a place called hell for the angels who rebelled. And somehow they still had access to wreak havoc upon the earth and try to encourage men to disobey God. Hmm. That there comes a time we didn't describe what time it was, but in the in as you grow up, as you're a child, you're sort of innocent, but you really have this thing called original sin, and then you yep. reach an age where you're making a choice, and now you've chosen to rebel against God, and you're going to go to hell. And God decided to send his son, because we've got this weird three-in-one, <laughs> three-in-one God, Uh, so that Jesus is going to come to earth. He was born of a virgin because basically God, the father spirit knocked up Mary without her consent. And she's going to give birth to this child who is fully God and fully man. And he is going to die for the sins of the world because there's no way God could bring himself to be okay with all of us unless there is a torture and murder and blood sacrifice. So, of course, we didn't say it in all those terms, but when you step back yeah. from it, I mean, that's really this what is the, it is. Yeah, <laughs> this is a ransom sacrifice. Um, you know, um, with some variations, Jehovah's Witnesses have the same uh, beliefs. They don't believe in the Trinity, but they they believe that the ransom is the uh his son Jesus carried out yeah. that role, so it's essentially the same thing that, that he. So he dies for sins. all men, mm-hmm. but you don't get saved. You don't get to go to heaven. You're still going to hell unless mm-hmm. you believe in your head the exact right way, and that yeah. exact right way is that you must be quote born again, which means we had this convenient sinner's prayer where you admit you're a sinner. You give your life to God, you ask him to forgive you, and you pledge your life to live the rest of your time on earth for the glory and kingdom of God and to obey him. And that's being born again, and that puts you in right relationship with God. So Tracy and I moved from our Catholic belief, which affirmed the idea of the virgin birth of Jesus, his death and resurrection, into now we're going to have this personal relationship with this invisible dude who's now going to live in our hearts and talk to us. Right. Only semi-psychotic. <laughs> Only semi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is the same. Um, so if you believe the Trinity, this is the same God that did all the things in the, in the land of Canaan and um, all of those lovely um, destruction, uh, these destructions of peoples and all of that. Um, it's the same character as the Jesus um, character. It's the same one. And yes. the same person that is in your is in your heart. Is this the one saved, always saved thing as well? Is that, um, is that part of it? <laughs> yes and no. <clears throat> okay. Remember, there's all these different flavors of fundamental Christianity. There are those sure. who will say, once you've given your life to Jesus, your, yeah. your salvation is sealed. You're good. You're good to go. And there are others who say, yeah, but look at what the scriptures talk about, faith without works. And there are scriptures that talk about falling away and Mm -hmm. that those who once tasted of the riches of God and yet have walked away, almost like there's no hope for them, which Tracy and I are definitely in that category. (laughs) And it's interesting because it 
some Christians who are still in this whole fundy, evangelical, charismatic thing, it makes them very uncomfortable to think about how deeply sold out Tracy and I were. I mean, we participated in all of it. We were we were in 100%. We exhibited the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the radical living for Jesus, the transformative influence on our generation. And now we're saying, yeah, no. And so they have to try to figure out, well, was it all pretend? Like we never really, really knew Jesus? We were just faking it? Or we did, and now we don't, and we're going to hell. It's a very tough conundrum, and Mm. I think a lot of fundamentalists wrestle with cognitive dissonance because what their theology says and what their heart believes are often two different things. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, could you tell us a bit about what? Uh, let's get back to the, uh, the the life in the Keith Green last days ministry. So you're you're both pretty young. You're, you're there at the same time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I got there. I got there first. Okay. Um, she always was, has to be first. Always first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was uh, I was 14 when Keith Green led me to the Lord. That's what we called it, you know, okay. getting born again, getting saved. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, I was living at home, alcoholic parents, and then he is telling me, "Hey, you know, you're going to get kicked out for the sake of Jesus." And when I was 17, I dropped out of college and moved to California. And it was a collection of I don't know, 70, 80 people spread out in six or seven houses in suburbia. So that was the original commune. Okay. And there was something kind of cool about it. This was the late 70s. It was the whole idea of, remember how the disciples sold everything and laid their money yep. at, at the feet of the apostles and they had and they had all things in common. So yep. it was this idea of, hey, it's all for one, one for all. We're here to serve Jesus together. And it was you know, we're again, as Tracy said, we're kind of coming out of the hippie movement yep. and we all wanted peace and love in the world. Hmm. The organization, Keith decided to move to Texas. There were already a few other Christian ministries and musicians there. So we transferred, about two dozen of us moved. And our daily work, I should back up, our daily work at the California ministry included, uh, you know, there was sisters who were taking care of food and cleaning and the brothers were taking care of the cars. And we had this print shop where we're publishing lots of good (laughs) propaganda. Hmm. And then we, we also had groups that would go out evangelizing, right? Go door to door, just like, yes, like, <laughs> just like, just like you guys. Know about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. go to the beaches and go to the parks mm. and try to mm. talk to people about Jesus and help them to get saved. Mm. When we moved to Texas, that kind of one-on-one let's interact with the world and help bring people to Jesus and help individuals who are struggling, that evaporated that was that's gone. so interesting that's so interesting because that's um uh, yeah that that's a very uh the nature of the organization changes quite a bit doesn't it from a, an evangelical sort of meeting people in the community going and talking to them and being part of the community then you're quite isolated um in this this compound or this this area yeah. that's uh, separate yeah, and even though it was like Actually, it's funny because the the name of the the legal name that Keith first incorporated there in California was Last Days Evangelical Association. Okay. Then it became a DBA of Last Days Ministries. And when we made the move to Texas, the emphasis, although there still was the idea of we're going to reach the lost for Jesus and help and help people get saved because that's the ultimate goal, but our emphasis turned towards. The problem is not so much reaching the lost. The problem is that the church is all fucked up, but we didn't use that term. You know, they're not sold out. They're not, they're not, they're not living the way Jesus said to live. They are compromising. They're in sin. 
they are asleep in the light. That's actually one of his songs. And so I think it became more an idea that our mission is to stir up the church for Jesus. And we looked down on a lot of denominations. We thought the Baptists were legalistic and out of touch and not in line with the Spirit of God. Forget the Methodists and the Presbyterians. I mean, they're just they're just Christian in name only. Yeah. What's that? (laughs) Dead religions. Yeah, yeah. They have, you know, the Lutherans. None of these Mm. people are really following Jesus. We're the Mm. ones with the really true truth. And we were good on the with Pentecostals and Assemblies of God. We're like they're moving more in the right direction, but they're still living very worldly lives because they're not sold out to Jesus like we are. So we were kind of arrogant. We were kind of arrogant. Thank you for listening to Cult Hackers, an indie podcast. That means we're not part of a big media organization with huge advertising budgets and massive reach. So just by listening to this, you're supporting the little guy. The hardest thing for us is not content. We love recording episodes and talking to amazing and interesting people. Now, by far the hardest thing is getting in front of the potential millions of listeners out there with millions of podcasts scrambling for attention. And here's where you can help simply by telling people about the podcast. Just telling somebody about it can really help. You can share an episode on social media or private messaging using your app, or on some apps you can leave a rating, better still, say a few words. So please help us get cult hackers in front of more people. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, and it did definitely draw that type of personality. So, you know, like me, who was receiving this newsletter and these songs, it definitely triggered that sense of extremism that I had in myself. Of Like, I want to go with, be with these people who want nothing but Jesus. And, you know, they, you know, to, to Keith's credit, not credit, he was basically taking literal view of how Jesus lived his life and t- putting it to the test. Let's mm. do it like Jesus did it. And to a know, point. Through, through time, there starts to be a lot of problems with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, his, um, the two words that come out quite a lot in your descriptions of this and, and in, in his own work is no compromise, which um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? What's, what's that all about? How is no compromise related to this character? Go, Tracy. Yeah. So again, that was what drew me because even back from my own family, I'm like, hey, if everybody's going to do paintings and architecture and talk about this God and this Jesus, what is it doing in your life? So I'm going to go ahead and live it right fully. And so here comes Keith Green with his album, No Compromise. And it is lyric after lyric of just what it means to have nothing Um, You know, the scripture, if you have two coats and your brother has none, then give one of Mm -hmm. your coat to your brother. And I love that as a as a young youth. And I would say that's the best part of the message. Right. Look around and see how you can help. And where it starts to go really, really south is the teachings began to get more and more inward because God can't bless you unless there's a holiness. And then there's this scripture, be perfect as I am perfect. So all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but slowly we're being indoctrinated. Slowly we're internalizing this message that our humanity is at very war with God. You know, as Sharon talked about, we're born into that sin. And so as a young person coming into age, that's your sexuality. (laughs) Um, That's any, you know, human behavior that you might have that would be normal fear, anger, And so you're in a constant war with your own psyche now to just really put those downs. We adopted fasting, you know, we're fasting. You had to believe, you know, that God was worth all of your money, all of your time, all of your energy. And that included your mental energy as well. And, you know, we were living and at the time, I think it grew to what, 250, Sharon? um, I don't think it ever got that big while we were there. I think we topped out at... I don't know, 120 100 or so. And so, and we lived in yeah. dorms and we lived in three high bunks. So, at, you know, especially mm-hmm. the early years, we were, you know, 14 to 18 women to a dormitory in three high bunks. And you you got two shelves at the end of your bed and two dresser drawers. And that was and all one you bathroom owned. to share. One what? bathroom. <laughs> and one bathroom to share. And one bathroom. And so, and any, you know, complaining, I mean, that was part of, 
you know, Keith Green's album, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt, people can look it up, but it's all about the children of Israel complaining mm. when all they had was yeah. manna to eat. So that was very mm. much a teaching that we internalized in our commune. Be grateful for whatever you have and don't be like the children of Israel. You yep. really don't deserve anything but death. So anything and above that, you should be grateful for. So we didn't complain when we had to share bathrooms. We, you know, the food that, you know, we got given to us. It's like, this is what's put before you learn gratitude. And then I think one of the worst things that started happening is we became our brother's keeper. So if holiness is really going to grow in your community to be effective by God, you have to root out sin. And it's not just root out sin in your own life. It's in everybody's life. (laughs) So you'd get a tap, you know, can I talk to you about something? And we would, I mean, anything like you were, you were too, you know, irritable when you talked to me. Um, I, you know, I talked about on the, one of the podcast episode that I had a sweater that was, you know, leaning off of my shoulder and I got that tap on the shoulder. You're stumbling me because your shoulder is showing. Um, and so it was, you know, it became a really unhealthy place to be having your awakening. And then when you start to think about marriage and coupling up because many of us were growing into our early twenties. You couldn't, you know, just be attracted to somebody. It had to all go through the leadership structure of approval. And you have a very unhealthy way to even relate to the opposite sex that all of a sudden you're being paired for life with people that you really don't know, (laughs) except for in that setting. And what about, um, spiritual, um, insights um i'm guessing that all comes from the center that all comes from keith or or his uh no we we were encouraged to read the bible for ourselves in fact our mandatory quiet time we all had to one hour in the morning uh everybody had to stop everything and it was time all you could do was pray and read the bible no singing no other books no talking to anyone so there was this idea that we all need to hear from God for ourselves. And at the same time, yeah, the leadership, they hear better than we do. And so we, you know, whatever Keith was thinking God was saying, that's what we heard. And mm. that's what we were supposed to get in line with. So so if you read a passage in the Bible and you think, oh, that seems to be saying that we should do this or we shouldn't do that. And you then go and present that to one of the elders or to, to Keith himself. And he says, no, it doesn't mean that who, who wins out on that, um, that debate. <laughs> well, Keith, of course he's God's he anointed did. prophet. <laughs> and I mean, and that's a great example because we did have a training mm. school. So eventually we started a training school and that's where a lot of that, uh, kind of where you get on the same page with how God moves and how God speaks. And so that would happen a lot as people may have been attracted to somebody of the opposite sex. And so they would go to a leader and say, I feel that God is telling me, right, that this person's going to be my wife. And often that leader would say, "Mm, we don't think you're hearing from God on that. We think that's your own deception because from their Mm. vantage, they're like, this is a bad match. Don't know why they said that, but they definitely, I would say, Keith on down to then the eldership of which Sharon's husband uh, was one of the three elders, then right. to group leaders. We all had group leaders that we had to report to. And so mm. God, and we all learned this in the school, only works within his structure of leadership. So if you're feeling something that's outside of what they would bear witness to, you are the wrong one and they are the right one. And either you can repent and get in line with that or you will have to leave. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, that, that's quite typical, isn't it? Um, so there's a there's a power thing here. So this is one of the the problems, isn't it, with these uh, with groups when it's about revelation. Um, some not all revelation is equal, is it? You know, so some <laughs> some people have more revelation or more important revelation than others. Um, to coin a sort of phrase. So it's interesting that the group now is really about trying to show up. I suppose um, the mistakes that other religions are are making was was the philosophy then that that God would move other groups then to start copying yours um, or was it that it was a kind of separating work uh, as a Jehovah's Witness we thought 
there was a separating work going on between sheep and goats. So essentially it was um, God was judging um, mm. people and determining whether they were going to die at Armageddon or not. So was it a, a similar sort of thing? What, what was the thinking? I think we were more judgmental of other Christians. So we weren't actually that worried about other religions. We we oh, okay. didn't feel called to try to fix things for the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons. Keith did go hard after Catholics, but we just felt that it was the Christian church that was failing God, right? So it's almost like the judgment was more on Christians than it was on the lost because the lost, the poor people, they're just lost. They haven't heard the good Mm -hmm. news. It's not their faults. They haven't heard the good news. It's the church's fault that they haven't heard the good news. So it was, it was really pounding on other believers. And in the last, uh, the last six months or so before he died in the plane crash, Keith did a hard turn into the whole idea of missions, that every young person, his words were, if you can't say that God told you not to go, then you are called and you're supposed to go to missions, overseas missions, go into all the earth and preach the gospel. And that became just another level of condemnation and manipulation and it it was it was awful and and i think i think the numbers say that well over 200,000 young people dropped out of college or didn't go to college and went and did these missions primarily with an organization which is also another cult called youth with a mission hmm. and also another very high control very manipulative organization. Yeah, and I I do want to say that there is a a song by Keith about the prodigal son, and it talks Mm. about the separation of the sheep and the goats. So that was uh, important to us. Of course, we believe there could be sheep in other religions. Oh, interesting. um, You know, but it would be marked by basically how we were living our lives. So if you were a sheep, you would be selling everything that you have. You would be going into all the earth. You would not be all about, you know, the temporal things of this world. And so that's where the judgment came in and that call to really hammer that message out of, hey, in the end, he is going to separate the sheep from the goats. You better make sure that you're a sheep. But we were talking to the church, not Mm -hmm. to the world. We were talking to the church. Hmm. Interesting. Um, you mentioned there about the death of of, um, of Keith Green. Um, that's uh, obviously that's quite a pivotal pivotal moment. And, and I think listening to your story um, on the uh, Teenage Fundies podcast, uh, I think that was a, a sort of turning point for you a little bit as well as as time went on. Uh, we don't want to get too much into that whole story, but um, do you want to tell us uh, what happened to Keith Green? Then um, I, I, he died in a plane crash. Um, what do we know about that plane crash? So we have um, on our podcast, we have a whole episode devoted just to the crash. But to give your right. listeners a general idea, yeah. Keith decided that it would be nice to have small planes, uh, small private planes to fly here and there. Truly wasn't necessary, but mm-hmm. that was an indulgence he gave himself. Mm-hmm. He was also very much a pushy, bully kind of guy. I think he believed he was invincible. He decided to, there was a a family coming to visit that were on their way across country and they were going to do some sort of church planting in the East Coast. They stopped by. Keith was like, oh, we're going to take them up and give them a sightseeing tour, show them the farm or the ranch. And They had five children, and Keith put that family of seven people, plus he brought two of his own children and the pilot, so that's 12 people in a seven-seater airplane. And Tracy and I fully, fully believe that Keith pulled some sort of spiritual coercion, you know, hey, don't you Mm. trust God? And, and, And the pilot was inexperienced in that plane, but we all also know the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they got in that plane and took off. And a 
few hundred yards past the end of the runway. It crashed into the trees, exploded, killed everybody. And it was a horrible tragedy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what was it? uh, My saying is it was was arrogance Mm -hmm. and gravity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was immediately furious with Keith because Mm -hmm. I'm like, he did this. He did this. Yeah, and the FAA, you know, did rule that it was an overloading of the plane. Mm. And there's been a couple of reports now from, you know, people who are pilots that have kind of, you know, uncovered, you know, just what's happening, you know, as far as the mechanics of the plane are going, um, not a mechanical failure, but as far as that weight and what that does in that distribution. Mm. And we do cover that uh, in, in depth, along with, you know, some of our fellow cult commune members who were there at the time and they go on record and share some of their memories. So if you, if you, if your listeners yeah. want to even just mm-hmm. search that one out, I think it's a really powerful episode. Um, clearly it did change, you know, some of the direction of last day's ministries, but as Sharon mentioned, another ministry called youth with a mission, uh, they ended up kind of moving in and having a big influence on Keith's widow, Melody Green, and a lot of our direction was basically completing his message that happened in those last few months of his life of go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, and then she, Melody Green, who is the widow of Keith Green, wrote a book and called No Compromise, the story, a life story of Keith Green, and really self-edits a lot of what really happened and some of the more damaging and hurtful things that were a part of this belief system in this commune. And I would say that was probably one of our uh, biggest, you know, draws to even do this, you know, as time's gone on and she's, you know, kind of the first anniversary, the fifth anniversary, the 40th anniversary is like, Hey, there's, there's a part to this story that hasn't been told And we are ready and eager now to go on record just to help clarify some of this um, real high control groups that have a very exploitive impact, particularly on young people like we were coming of age. Yeah, I wanted to um, really delve into the question of why what is the problem with this group? So it's something that, um, you know, we get asked uh, at times and challenged on at times, you know, people see these groups and they look happy and they seem to be fairly well rounded out individuals. And, you know, what is the problem? So could you tell us what is the problem from your perspective, from your experience? So I think there's a few different versions of last days, right? There's last days when Keith was there and running the organization There's last days after he died and Melody took over. And then there's last days after, I would call it the mass exodus, where virtually everyone who was a mover and a shaker and almost everyone who had ever known Keith, almost all the leadership left because of some problems. So the, to me, the problem with it under Keith was so much power centered in one person who has the words, who absolutely says, hey, God is everything and don't look to me and don't give me praise. Mm -hmm. And those words made him all the more appealing to those of us who wanted to follow Jesus because we would see that as, wow, this level of humility. But underneath that was a phenomenal amount of hubris and arrogance to presume to hear God for another person Mm -hmm. to the extent that he was doing matchmaking. I mean, that's how I got married. He basically, Mm -hmm. when I was 18 years old, there was one remaining single elder. So it was Keith and Wayne Dillard who had gotten married a year before and then Martin. And, and I'm funneled towards, this is the man God wants you to marry. (laughs) Why? Because Keith thought it would be good. Mm -hmm. And that's a horrific amount of power to have over anyone's life. Also, the ability to look at someone and say that you know their heart and you can say they're in sin. Mm -hmm. And Keith modeled this 
So we want to follow God and be um, sold out for Jesus. And this is what Keith does. So different people to different degrees who were leaders in the ministry and then in the training school we started and then group leaders there would emulate that. And it's this idea that we have responsibility to speak into someone else's life and to tell them what God wants for them. Mm. And that is just fucked up no matter which way you look at it. Yeah. And then you label these people, if they're not on board with what you're telling them, the finger is pointed at them that there must be sin and rebellion in their hearts. And people, there were a lot of people who were really devastated. Now, mm-hmm. that was happening before Keith died, and it continued after he died as well. There was, and, and we've got stories. There's a, a story of um, uh, one of the, the brothers, quote-unquote brothers, uh, Paul, who oh, he told his story on our podcast as well about mm-hmm. what that really meant to get labeled as having an evil heart. Mm. And remember, we're talking to people who are impressionable and Mm. vulnerable and who want nothing more than to please God and the confusion that it sends them into. And that, like I said, continued after Mm. Keith died. I think that after Tracy and I left and many others left, we... We think that there was a bit of moderation in terms of maybe the personal intrusion, but Youth with a Mission came in and really kind of took control, and their methodology might not have been always as direct as Keith's was of like, I'm going to go confront someone about the absolute sin in your life. But they laid the foundation for you should never question your leadership. You don't touch God's anointed. You don't question the leadership. And so anyone who might have had that inclination would get moved out, would be sent along. And so if you've got people who are super compliant, aka semi-brainwashed, who aren't going to rock the boat, who aren't going to say, hey, something's wrong with this they're not going to be confronted because we've already selected, we've pre-selected for compliant people. So mm. their experience within last days from after the, the, the big exodus to when the ministry itself kind of crumbled and closed its doors, their experiences were different. And many of them object to Tracy and I saying what, that it was mm. a cult, mm. but their experiences are different because they were groomed in a very special way and, as I said, kind of self-selected for those who would be compliant. That's yeah, at least and my, the model, my perspective yeah. of it. I, I And yeah. I concur completely. And we've mentioned Youth with a Mission a few times, but... Mm-hmm. You know, they have training schools and their model of this, uh, what we would call indoctrination and grooming, uh, is the same as it was for us. You can see that now in, for those who are following the IHOP Kansas City scandal that's breaking. So these parachurch organizations that start these training programs and have these missions and basically prey on very vulnerable youth. Um, to to go this route is extremely damaging. And the stories that we're hearing, not just from Last Days Ministries, but from those who have left other similar parachurch ministries, it's taken years to unwind some of this deep-seated brainwashing. And I would say, apart from the commune, apart from all that um, teaching on the external, it was what we internalized Mm -hmm. (laughs) that has been the most damaging and the most devastating to me as a woman, to me then as a mother, then teaching it to my children. And that's the part of just at my very heart, I am wicked and I cannot trust my heart. And I am, my job on this earth is to root out that wickedness and wickedness on those around me. And then particularly my family and just that level of control and devastation to come out of that um, has taken years. And it's, it's amazing to us how insidious that internalization has been and how long it's taken for us to unwind. 
Yeah, um, a recent interview I had with um, a, a UK-based um, sort of fundamentalist, ex-fundamentalist. She was uh, talking about this denial of self and, mm. and not trusting yourself, and and I think that comes out right. so much, doesn't it? You know, if you have this belief that we can't trust ourselves. Um, there's biblical verses that are taken and used for that. You know, the heart is treacherous, all these mm-hmm. sorts of um, these texts that make us believe that we are at our heart, sinful, wicked, bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's very damaging. Um, you mentioned about the amount of time it takes. And that's the other thing that I often think about with myself. It, it took me, like I, I left when I was about 30. Um, I, I don't know how old you were when you left, but you then look back on your life and you think about all this time. Does that ever, is that something that ever that you dwell upon or are you just one of these look forward sort of people you know do you ever think about a lost time or how do you sort of think about that well I will I'll just jump in there really quickly to add to what I said earlier it's also that internalization that makes you not go to college not develop a career raise your kids in ways instinctively and intuitively you would never do that so those are definitely the regrets Mm. that hang out that time, you can't really undo that. Mm. Um, and I'll, I'll say it really quick and give Sharon a chance to talk about it. As far as looking back, I would say when we finally did leave and thank God I had Sharon because, you know, we, we had this commune of people and there's only a handful of us that we would now call deconstructed and we didn't call it then we didn't call it that then. And we had each other and we ended up leaving and we left hard. Like we changed social groups. We changed reading material. And so we went hard into a whole nother world that I say now I'm so grateful for because it really kind of like plunged me into um, a world I hadn't known before. And we would have, I would have never been able to do a podcast like this, I think in those early days. And that was about 20 years ago. We've been gone for about 20 years. And, um, and so uh, because of kind of that life that we got to live outside of that, that has helped in the redemptive process a lot. But Sharon, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a challenging question because you think back on, wouldn't it be lovely to have some of those years back, you know, that were, quote, wasted? And then again, well, were they? I, I tend to look at things in the sense of, this has been my journey and this is my life. And I have come to really love and honor who I am, which is a very interesting juxtaposition to what we were indoctrinated with for decades. Yeah. But I like who I am. I love who I am. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Do I have foibles? Of course I do. (laughs) But I also wonder, would I not have some of these perspectives and insights and priorities if I had not experienced the things that I did. Now, that's not to say that I would wish growing up in a horrible alcoholic home to anyone, Hmm. nor getting sucked into a cult commune, nor would I advise getting into uh, an arranged marriage with an emotionally abusive person. No, no, don't recommend that to anyone. I would like to spare everyone those experiences. And yet I can look back and say, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. I'm incredibly thankful for where I am right now. Um, the, you know, the timeline was get saved at 14, move into the cult at 17, get married when I'm 18, 19, in the, in the cult until I'm in my mid-20s, but in the mindset until I was in my, I didn't even start to question until my maybe mid-30s, and then not even really hard until late 30s, early 40s. So that is a lot of years and a lot of decades. But if I had skipped over any of that, would I be where I am now? I don't know. And so. I think that's a great answer. And, and um, you know, the fact that you have been able to make that journey and say, look, I actually really like myself now. That is that is ultimately um, a kick in the teeth to those uh, religions that try to tell you you're a sinner and that you're no good. So I think that's, right. a, that's a brilliant story. 
Um, is there anything that I've missed? Um, I, I'm not a professional interviewer, so um, is there anything that... You're doing a damn good uh, job, Stephen. Damn good job. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Um, is there anything that I should have asked that I haven't that you really want to, uh, to, to let our listeners know about? I, I mean, I think it's been interesting to me in this journey as we've followed some stories of those in Mormonism and those in Jehovah's Witnesses, how similar Mm. we are on so many practices that in the past we would have been, well, they're a cult. And as I'm looking, you know, there's, there's been a couple of movies I've listened to and some podcasts, Uh, you know, I've caught my breath of that. That looks, that looks like us. That looks like how, how we were, we're living out this practice. And so, so many similarities there. And I, I think being able, the biggest gift, we always say, it's like being born again, being unborn again. (laughs) is like being born again to know that my humanity is okay. And that, uh, you know, I often talk about one of my first cracks was practicing yoga and how you're practicing getting into balance because there are things that are pushing you out of balance, but you're not beating yourself up about that. And just that mercy and that grace, you know, that we talk about in our past Funday lives, it's like mm-hmm. that is really what it means to me, like giving me that ability to embrace my humanity and not beat myself up internally has been like the, the best part of living this life. So all your listeners, as you're coming out of this, be gentle with yourself, give yourself time, make sure you build things around your life that are taking you out of, you know, this topic sometimes as far as really doing the things that you love, learning what you love and uh, being gentle with yourself because it is a great life and um, you get to help craft it and design it the way you want to, instead of being on this trajectory that uh, is to save the lost souls of the earth. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, I definitely echo that. Um, Feet of Clay is the name of your, your podcast. And that straight away makes me think of Daniel's um the 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 statue in daniel is that um is it related to that or is is the name a bit more down to earth so my father a military man student of the jesuits for years would always just take these quotes and quote them throughout the house and one of his uh quotes was always all idols have feet of clay he would just say that anytime like some you know buddy that was pretty famous would fall and even when I was going to last days, I mean, he would have these warning signs to me that, you know, he's no longer here to see me having deconstructed. Uh, but as I've gotten older and I've looked at, you know, all of these scandals, I mean, there's been the Bill Gothard scandal, there's been the mm-hmm. Southern Baptist Convention scandal, the IHOP KC scandal, and it always echoes all idols have feet of clay. What is it about us that want to put these men up on pedestals yeah. and kind of mm-hmm. follow hard after them? when they, they have their own human foibles. So that's part of that oh, that's portion. It. Okay, got you. Yeah. It, it seems to be a bug, doesn't it? We seem to have a bug in our software that um, we we keep being uh, attracted to these charismatic characters who, who promises the solution to absolutely everything. And it happens over and over again, whether it's religion, whether it's um, finding a, a partner, whether it's trying to get rich, that they're mm-hmm. all offering these unrealistic and, um, yeah, strange and I think, solutions. Yeah, I, I actually think that a part of that is when we were growing up, when we were children, if we did not have parents who affirmed in us and to us our own value our own ability to be complete within ourselves, to find answers within ourselves, to trust ourselves. It sets us up to try to find something outside of us, mm. to, to look to someone else with the answers, rather than the message that this, this thread of the universe, this thread of wisdom and love is inside each and every one of us. And when we can recognize that and begin to find it and honor it within us, that voice that we often attribute to some outside sky god, no, 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 no. That voice of wisdom, that voice of joy and beauty and love, that is your own voice. And learning to recognize it as such, I think, is is 
becoming, at least for me and Tracy, just part of the greatest gift of life. Brilliant. Well, I think we'll leave it there because that's a great way to end it. I mean, I feel like we've we've sort of ended this podcast a few times already, and that's the <laughs> best one yet. So let's um, let's stop. And we're going to have you on ours, Stephen. We can't wait to, can't to wait. interview you, and we get to ask all the questions. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm looking forward to that. I really am. Um, hopefully, Celine um, will be available as well. So she she missed it today. Mm. Oh um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, she'll she'll be there. I'm sure. Um, thank you very much, Sharon and Tracy. And um, people should tune into your podcast called cult sisters sorry called feet of clay um, confession of the cult sisters and um yeah it's on all the podcast apps so you can you can listen to your full stories so thank you so much again for joining us today thank you